You know, if you take the three sixteens in the Bible, John three sixteen, all the different three sixteen, there's some really cool ones. And this is one of my favorite ones right here. Um, listening to Pastor preach this Sunday, it got me thinking um, about this scripture. And I think it's, um, it's pretty cool. It'll help us tonight here. Let's read it together. 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, Now all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be truly furnished unto all good works. Amen? Now, um, hallelujah. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is inspired. We thank you, Lord, that it is God-breathed. And we thank you, Lord, that you have taken serious attention. And, Lord, you have preserved your word for us. Lord, you have raised up men and women throughout the age, Lord, to keep this book, to be faithful, to pass it down from generation to generation, Lord. And Lord, that is because you love us and you've proved yourself faithful. Lord, you have not left your people without basic instructions before leaving earth. And Lord, we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Amen. Amen. If you go to buy a new car, it's going to have a manual in it. And every human being has a manual. It's called the Holy Bible. And um, I, th I was thinking about what Pastor was saying on Sunday about how there's a little thing going around right now at the moment in church where we need to untether ourselves from the Old Testament. And as soon as he said that, made me think about this scripture because it says all scripture, Amen. all scripture Amen. is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration there is pneumotheos, which means God breathed. Pneumo is the Greek word for breath, and theos is the Greek word for God. God breathed. Um, all Scripture is God breathed. All Scripture. Um, it's interesting that if you study out uh, Peter, Peter actually calls the writings of Paul Scripture. Amen. And so even in the very early um, portions of the early church, they already recognized the New Testament. And um, they already had documents that they considered were God-breathed and that they were inspired by the, by the Holy Ghost. Um, the reason why it's so important for the, for the Scriptures for us is because we're God-breathed. Amen? Amen? You know, the Bible says that when God formed man, He breathed life into him and he became a living soul. And that's why the Lord, you know, He said... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Your identity and your makeup is fueled in, in its necessity is the word of God. You know, I love apple pie, but I'll tell you what, John 3.16 is more beneficial to you and me as a person than any food, even, you know, if it's nutrition food or whatever. Paul said bodily exercise profits little, yeah. right? right? But 
when the spiritual man grows, that's what's really important. And in Timothy, he's talking to Tim here, and he says, Timothy, all scriptures given by inspiration of God, it is profitable for four things. Doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Now, this is a good way to remember those things. Doctrine is what is right. Corre uh, reproof is what is not right. All right. Correction is how to get right. And instruction is how to stay right. All right. I will. Doctrine is what is right. Reproof is what is not right. Correction is how to get right. And instruction is how to stay right. All right. And that is something that every one of us need. And this word of God is what does that. That's why I'm so passionate about Bible studies and preaching and hearing under the word of God. You can have all the gifts and talents in the world. And we, we're a worshiping church. We love worship in this place. Amen. And Pastor Lonnie and Pastor Darlene have set that standard here of prayer and praise and worship. And they have carried on a well that has been dug in this church for many years. But they'll be the first to tell you. You can have all the worship in the world, but without the word of God, you will not grow. Our praise and worship is for him. The word of God is for us. Amen. Amen. You know, and that's why I, I, I'm concerned, especially maybe for some of the younger kids when they're going around, they're always just chasing the best music. Yeah. You know, you can't chase the best music and grow as a Christian. You have to love Bible study. You have to love the scriptures. Amen. And because verse 316 is the key, because that's what the word of God does for us, that we may be perfect or that another word for there is mature. All right. You see a lot of people, a lot of fights in church, a lot of immaturity in church. A lot of it is because people don't sit in Bible study. All right. Another. And then it says that we may be truly furnished. I love that word truly, the old King James there. You know, it, it, I, when I think of truly, remember body, soul, and spirit, I think of the body, soul, and spirit. All parts of us are furnished unto all good works. Amen. And that is what we're called to do. We're, we're not saved by good works, remember, but we are called to good works. Praise God. That's why he saves us, so that we will do good works. Amen. So I just wanted you to remember that that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, Old and New Testament. You know, I heard a preacher say, you know, we don't really need the Old Testament because, you know, they didn't have a Bible when Jesus came and in the early church of the apostles. I was like, what are you talking about? Peter preached his first sermon straight out of Psalms in the Old Testament. They had a Bible. God was still about to write the New Testament, but, I mean, I think they could have just got it done with the Old Testament because, you know, they were preaching out of it. So that's a lot of hogwash there that we don't need the Old Testament. And I'll tell you what that's leading to, guys. And you mark my words and you listen up clearly. They're trying to get rid of the Old Testament because there's some things that are spoken of in the Old Testament that our modern day culture doesn't like. Amen. They want to get rid of things like Leviticus 19. They want to get rid of things that, you know, 
they, they teach man to stop doing the things that they're doing. And they want to try to say that a book, we're not part of the Old Testament. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is part of the New Testament. And, you know, it's just don't fall for it. Amen. Praise God. And turn and take them right to 2 Timothy 3.16 in the New Testament. It says all scripture. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So just a little exhortation there for that. And uh, we're going to finish off in Thessalonians tonight. And I just want to tell everybody that's participated in the studies, I've had an awesome time teaching. I want to thank Pastor Lonnie for giving me the opportunity to, to teach on a Wednesday. And I've just really enjoyed this study. It's confirmed a lot of things in my own life and in my own heart. And um, I'm really grateful that, uh, that Paul has written this letter for us. So we're in 2 Thessalonians. And we're going to uh, start at verse 13 of chapter 2. And tonight, there's not a lot left in this book. Um, remember, the meat of, of this second letter is in chapter 2. Anybody know who that lady is? They need to take care of her. I just saw a lady walk by in the hallway there. Um, and uh, so the meat of Thessalonians and the heart of why Paul wrote this letter is to encourage the Thessalonians. She went left, Pastor, in chapter 2, 1 through 12. That's the heart of the book, really. And um, we've exhausted that um, subject enough, and we'll go into verse 13 now. So verse 13 says, Now we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Amen. So who does the sanctifying according to that verse? The spirit does. The scriptures teach that the Holy Ghost is what sanctifies us. We don't sanctify ourselves. The Holy Spirit does. OK, and that's important to know that now. And also what the combination there of how the Holy Spirit sanctifies us is by us believing in the truth. Because remember what Jesus said. He said, sanctify them, Lord, by your truth. Thy word is truth. Amen. So the way that you become more sanctified is by being in the word. And a good illustration for that is if you look, remember the Old Testament um, temple they had before they would go into the place of worship, they would have the laver there, wouldn't they? Which is, was a giant vessel full of water. And, the, and they would wash their hands and they would wash their feet. And uh, remember when, uh, when Jesus was going to have a foot wash service for his disciples and, and Peter, you know, he's like, oh, Lord, don't wash my feet. And then he says, I need to wash you, your feet, Peter. And he kind of rebuked him a little bit. And Peter's like, well, wash my head and wash my feet too, Lord. Wash all of me. And Jesus said, no, you're already clean by, your, by my blood. But because you're still in the earth, we still, we still walk on this earth. We need our feet washed. Amen. And what he's saying there is, is, you know, we're saying we're, we're saved. OK, when you believed on Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you're saved. But because we're in the earth, we need the word to wash us, Amen. to give us a daily cleanse of just walking in the earth. 
You know, you could go out, come out of the bathtub and, you know, back in those days they wore sandals. You could come out of a lovely bath, walk to the supermarket. And by the time you got back home, your feet are completely dirty. It doesn't mean you didn't have a bath. It just meant you're walking in a dirty place. Amen. And it's the same thing with with this world, this age that we live in, because Jesus hasn't come back to rule over this age yet. We still need the word of God to wash our feet. Amen. And so verse 14, he says, now unto you, which he called by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast, hold the traditions which you have been taught whether by word or our epistles. Amen. So we need to stand fast in the things that we've been taught. Um, if you would go to Bradford, England today, you would see a tombstone of Smith's Wigglesworth at Nabwood Cemetery. And there's a quote, there's a verse quote there. And it says, follow me as I have followed Christ. And that's what Paul admonished the early leaders of the church to follow the example that he set. Amen. And we need examples. We need fathers. You know, we need examples in the church. We need that. And it's a very important thing that Paul had instituted when he planted the Gentile churches. In verse 15, he says, hold fast these traditions. Now look at 16, says, now our Lord Jesus Christ himself... And God, even our Father, who has loved us, and he has given us an everlasting consolation and a good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish yourself in every good word and work. I like how he attached word and work there. Amen. We must establish ourselves in the word before we can establish ourselves in the work. Amen. And um, he put that precedence there. And I wanted to look up that word real fast in uh, the ever. He's given us an everlasting consolation. Um, what does one of your uh, anybody got the new living out there? What does it say for that everlasting consolation? Or a different uh, anybody? Eternal comfort. Eternal comfort. Consolation. Comfort. Is that what it says? That's pretty cool. Um, so where he says an everlasting consolation, that word there um, is a summons, an importation, an entreaty, an exhortation, an admonishment or an encouragement. I like the word summons. You know, God has given the church, praise God, an eternal summons. You know, when someone when you get a summons to appear in court. What does that mean? You have an expected date and an expected time that you are to appear before the judge. Amen. And this is why this is an everlasting hope to us. We as a church have an expected day and an expected hour. Praise God. When we're going to appear before the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. He is not. He's not trying to wait for a good time. He knows exactly the nanosecond when he is going to call his church up to the gathering. Amen. And that is what we need to place our hope in. Praise God. It's supposed to 
comfort us and establish us in every good work. Chapter 3. Now, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have a free course, amen, and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all men have faith. Praise the Lord. Good uh, thing to take to heart for our missions, our missionaries. When you think of our missionaries, you can take these verses and you think, well, I don't know what to pray. Well, pray that the word of the Lord would have a free course. Amen. You know what I'm saying? You know, pray that it would have, you know, its way would be unobstructed. Because that is what Satan is most concerned about. Is the obstruction of the word of God. He'll let us do all kinds of things and play all the games and have all the bouncy castles and have all the entertainment and all the barbecues and all the different cool stuff that we want. He'll let us have that all day. But boy, you start trying to put the word out there and that's when the obstruction will come. Why? Because the Bible doesn't it say it, it says that our salvation is by the word of God. That scripture, what is it? Um, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? Power of God unto salvation. You know, we got to defend that gospel because that is where the power is. And I can't explain it. It actually offends the natural mind. You think, man, how many times can I hear, you know, that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the grave? Hey, I like to hear that. I'll never get tired of hearing that, you know, because when you speak that, that's the word that goes in and gets inside somebody. And that is the power to boosh to make them come alive on the inside. We don't have no control over it. That was God's plan. That was his design. That's the way he meant for it to be. And we just need to be obedient. Amen. Like you've heard me say before, I'm not an editor. I'm just a newsboy. Amen. Praise God. Now, pray that we would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for all men do not have faith. You know, that's, we have to be sober in that. We have to live sober knowing that, you know, we're going to face people in this world that just are not going to get saved. There is a wicked men in the earth that are, are they're bound for, you know, an eternal flame. And, you know, it's not for us to judge that, but it should just make us understand that when we go out witnessing and when we're trying to lead people to the Lord and they're resisting the gospel, that there are there's a there was a, there's a resistance that leads unto death. Amen. And that's just the way it is. Um, verse three. Now, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. That's good, man. You know, I remember I was here the other day. One time I was teaching and I think it might have been you, Rosalie. Someone was asking me, you know, do you think about the Lord's prayer? You know, it says, um, Lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. And I think the question was, why, how does the Lord lead us into temptation? And when you think about the way the Lord doesn't actually lead into temptation, the Bible says in James, when we say, don't say when we're tempted that we're tempted of God. Amen. God, there in him is no evil. There is no way that he could tempt. It's not, I mean, it's not even a part of his nature, just like he cannot lie. You know, he, he's God. Amen. And because he's full of goodness, there's, he doesn't have the capacity to tempt, right? The tempter is Satan, the devil, the dragon, amen? The serpent, the one who hates the word of God, the one that tries to get every human being to doubt what God has said. Hath God said. Now, but when it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, when I read that, I'm thinking of, Lead us, if he's leading me not into, into temptation, where is he leading me? He's leading me away from temptation. So that is another way that you could interpret that where he's saying, lead me away from temptation, not into evil. Amen. So, um, but sometimes, you know, the King James can be a little bit of a tongue twister there and you just got to kind of think about what he's saying. But when you do that, it actually like, oh, it becomes even more important and you get more revelation out of it, don't you? Praise God. So God will establish us and he will keep you from evil. That is a good promise right there. Verse four, and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you both do and will do the things which we command you. In other words, Paul left the church some commandments. He's confident that they will obey them. He's confident that they will keep them. And um, and they will pass them on. Amen. And verse five, he says in the Lord, direct your hearts into love, into the love of God and into the patient waiting of Christ. Amen. What a neat verse. May the Lord fill your heart with love and lead you, lead you into a patient waiting. That's where I want to be. I want the Lord to come tonight. But if he doesn't come, I want to be patiently waiting. Amen. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to get upset. I don't want to question the Lord in his timing. Peter said the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Amen. Let's go there real quick. That's a cool scripture. First Peter. And the verse is. Uh, second Peter, sorry. Second Peter 3 9 is where we're going to. Second Peter 3 9. Man, I'm just loving these built in search fields in our phones now. It's so great. It's a lifesaver. Second Peter 3 9. And that's right after the book of James. Second Peter 3 9. Say amen if you're there. Amen. Praise the Lord. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine says, now the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness. All right. So in other words, there were scoffers in the day saying that the Lord is lazy or he is not going to fulfill what he said. He's taking too long. So he's not going to do it. 
And there's a lot of people in the earth today that think they've been saying Jesus Christ is coming back for 2,000 years. Where is he? You know, in a mocking way. But this is what they fail to understand. This, the verse is actually about the mocker here. In verse 9 he says, But he is long-suffering. He is patient toward us, not willing that any should perish. It's the Lord's will that every man come to salvation. Not every man is going to, but it's his will that they all do. So, but that all should come to repentance. And so verse 9 is basically saying, the reason why the Lord didn't come yesterday is that so someone can get saved today. And the longer he waits, the more can be saved the more can come to repentance. So that's why it's important for the church to not get an attitude about why God has not, you know, rescued us yet. Because he knows there is more on the earth that belong to him. Amen. And when he knows that the last one that belongs to him is the end, then he's going to shut the door of the ark, just like he did in Noah's day. Amen. It said when the last one came in, did Noah shut the door? No. no. The Bible says God shut the door. Amen. Right. Amen. God shut the door of the ark. Yeah, that's right. And when the last one comes in, in the church age, God is not going to shut a door. But just like John saw in Revelations chapter four, I saw in heaven a door opened and the church went in and then he will shut the door. Amen. And then he will come and deal with the unbeliever of the earth. So God is, he knows the perfect time and point. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, back over to Thessalonians. So in verse six, what chapter? Uh, we're back in second Thessalonians chapter three, verse six. And so he's saying there, now we command you brethren in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walks disorderly and not after the tradition which you have received of us. That's a warning right there. All right. Paul is adamant that as the early church is being established, and remember, this is one of his first letters to the churches. He, he doesn't want us to pamper people's bad attitudes. Amen. Do you know what I'm saying about that? Yep. You know, we have a hard time. I'm telling you, I had a hard lesson in this when I was when I first went to England and I was a babe in Christ and I would see the way, you know, my dad would handle things in the church. And sometimes it was hard. Sometimes he'd have a hard correcting word for someone. And I was so worried about that person's feelings and I would question and now you got to understand, you know, and, and Pastor Lonnie's sons can can attest to this. You have a father in ministry, but he's also your pastor and he's also your brother. It's a very interesting relationship. And it takes quite a bit of skill to separate those hats. Because there's sometimes when you speak, you're speaking as a dad. But then there's sometimes you're speaking, you're speaking as a brother. But then there are sometimes when you're speaking, you're speaking as a pastor. And when the pastor and the man of God is speaking in his spiritual authority, you don't question like you would question a brother. Or you don't, you know, 
There's just, if it's God, you just got to, you may not understand it. You just got to do it. It's the same relationship. My wife and I, we have that relationship. Sometimes I'll say, this needs to happen with the kids, honey. Now, she may not understand it, but she'll go with it, trusting that if I'm wrong, God will speak to me and he'll convict me. And I'll, you know, I'll be like, you know what? I've, I've had a change of heart there, you know, or she'll talk real sweet to me and say, now, are you sure? But she won't, you know, you know what I'm saying, though? You, you guys know what I'm trying to get at here. You don't question the authority. You don't challenge it. It doesn't mean that you can let somebody run, you know, roughshod over you. But it's a it's a it's a it's a delicate relationship. And, and when I was immature and I didn't understand those types of relationships, I would side towards people's bad attitudes who had a problem with being told what was right and what was wrong. And I'd be like, oh, you know, caring about their feelings and trying to go and, you know, and I just got myself in so much trouble trying to cater to people's emotions and their feelings, but most of all, their bad attitude. And so Paul's saying, hey, verse six, don't do it. You see guys running around with bad attitudes, talking about brothers and sisters in the Lord, not following the traditions that I set. Don't have anything to do with them. Don't be running up to them. You know, if they run out of stomp out of church in a bad mood. You run out of church and run after them in the parking lot and you're trying to console them. No, you just wasted your time in God when you did that. You, someone's got a bad attitude. They want to leave church in a huff and puff. Let them leave. Your, your job is to worship God and receive the word. And then maybe when the Lord makes time afterwards, maybe you can go have a cup of coffee or something, work it out. But I've seen so many people, you know, in my day in church, and I'm not saying I've been in church forever, but, you know, they want to take Sunday morning and they want to use that as the time to sort out all their problems. That's God's time, man. It's your time. You know, don't, don't let it, it... Look what it says. Who walks after disorderly, who walketh disorderly and not after the traditions which you've received for us. That stuff just causes a bunch of disorder. And everybody's wondering, oh, what's going on? Is God, is God front and center there when that happens? God's not front and center there. Is everybody's like, ooh, I wonder what they're doing. Everybody's, who's front and center? That person that just walked out the door and three or four people just followed him. Now that's the center of attention. That's exactly what Satan wants. He don't want the attention on the word of God. It's just wrong. And don't you guys fall for it. I'm trust, please. Now, verse seven, for you yourselves, you know how you ought to follow us. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Verse eight, neither did we eat any man's bread for nothing. But we wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Now, we went over this text earlier on in the, in the study, and there was Thessalonians had a, they were lazy. They would not work. And they would get all spiritual and think that they could just sit around all day. And, you know, and a lot of them would, they would find rich people and they would become errand boys or errand girls. And they would run, do favors, run favors and errands for the upper class in the city there. And what, what happens there is you actually end up making yourself subject to the person that you're relying on. 
for favors and errands and things. And they would, be, would become very manipulative. And they were putting themselves in a bad situation. And Paul, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit, I mean, Paul taught that the, that the man who ministers the word of God has every right and power and authority without any shame or any weirdness to receive, um, you know, his, his, his needs to be taken care of by the church that is receiving the word of God. That's just, that's just simple, you know, Bible stuff. But for some reason, in this particular case, Paul discerned that there was a situation in the church here with the people. And what he did is he didn't receive a, st a wage. He went right to work. And he would work during the day and he would preach and teach at night. And because he knew he needed to set an example to those people. I'm sure Pastor Lonnie and Darlene, when they went to Mexico, they were working down there. You know, they'd get up, build that orphanage, preach and teach. You know, there's just certain seasons, certain areas that you go into where you have to, you know, get your hands dirty as well. Amen. And so Paul did that. And he goes on here in verse nine. He says, now, not because we don't have the power or we have not power, but to make ourselves an example for you to follow us. So he was saying, guys, follow me. I need you to work like I'm working. You need to get yourself out from underneath the, uh, the, the aristocrats in the city who will manipulate you to do things that you're not supposed to do. Because one of the things that was going on in Thessalonica is they had to take incense and put it on the fire and declare Caesar is God. And so some of the rich people would have the servants or the church folk, some of the poorer people, to go take the incense for them and place it on the fire for them so that they, you know, they were too lazy to get out of the bed or, or whatever, and they would have their servants go and put the incense down for them, you see? So it, what looked like a kind of a simple little thing, running an errand for somebody, they were actually worshiping false idols by doing that. And so Paul's saying, you guys need to wake up and you need to earn your money by the work of your own hands. Praise God. Don't rely on other people to give you uh, gifts for doing errands for them. You need to work with your own hands. Praise God. Everybody understand that? So that's what he was doing there. And we... we we don't need to spend a whole lot of time on that. I thought we hit that pretty good um, back in the beginning. Now look, verse 10, he says, For we commanded with you, this we command, commanded you, that if anyone would not work, neither should he what? Eat. If he shouldn't work, he shouldn't eat. You know, food stamps is a great program. There are times, no doubt, when every single person not every single person, but I mean, when people fall on hard times, it's a great program. It helps people. But it is not, it's a supplement for a temporary season. Men need to work so that they can eat. Amen? Men and women. When I say men, I mean all of us. Like the scripture uses the word men. You know, it's a very, it's a, it's a principle. You don't work, you don't eat. All right? And so... And wouldn't you agree that some of our problems that we have in our social society, 
you know, we hit that a while a while ago when we were talking about the addicts and stuff. You know, you know, I I remember when I was at the Good Samaritan Inn and it was a drug and alcohol program, and you know, the best thing that I got a hold of there was a good work ethic. They'd take us out there in the field, we'd plant trees, and we'd do rockeries in the new, uh, the new uh, subdivisions that they were building. And, you know, as a rebellious person, I fell in love with the work of my hands. I'd love to take the shape the land, and you take something that was all, uh, you know, just a mess, and all of a sudden you would begin to shape it, and you would see that how you could, you know, make it beautiful, you know? And, and I think if guys would realize that they have the ability to create and make things beautiful, it would help some of the problems that they have of why we abuse our bodies with drugs and alcohol. So now look at verse 11. He's saying, for we hear that there are some who walk among you disorderly. In other words, this is not an orderly thing. They're working not at all, but they are what? Busybodies. Busybodies. You know what a busybody is? They're busy looking after everybody else. Busybodies. Always concerned about everybody else but themselves, man. You know? And Paul was very clear, and I don't mean to upset anybody here tonight, but he was very clear. For men, he said, get a job. For women, he said, have a child. Because if you're, if you're working a job, you know, you're, you're going to be busy working your job. And, and, the, and the young girls that were running around gossiping all the time, trying to get in everybody's uh, business, he said, you know, chi- if you're raising a child, you'll be so focused and concentrated on raising that child that, you know, you won't have time. You know, but we don't, I mean, that's not a popular subject matter today. I, even when I try to tell my daughters that they want to throw something at me. But, you know, but it, it is, um, but I find that when you do mature a little bit, you actually realize that's some good advice, amen? How long did it take you to realize that mom and dad was right? Those that you had godly parents and stuff. It took me about 30 years. Now, verse 12 now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and they eat their own bread. But you, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be what? Ashamed. You see, and that's the key. I mean, you know, sometimes we may frown sometimes on the Amish, how they shun people, and I'm sure that can get a little bit too far out there. But when somebody is not walking right, when they're causing problems in the body, we're not to make them feel comforted. Amen. We're to make them feel ashamed that what they're doing is wrong. Amen. And that's just the Bible. And... I didn't make this up. I'm just reading it, <laughs> you know. But, I mean, like I said, I was guilty of it in the early days of, of my Christian walk in church, trying to, you know, run after people um, when they were offended. But I wasn't, in, I didn't know the word. 
But as I grew in the word and I saw these things for myself, I realized how we're supposed to act towards one another. Because, you know, if somebody gets um, if somebody gets offended and they start being a rebel and they walk out the door and no one's following them, it won't take too much till they'll realize they went for a walk and they're the only one going. And usually if they don't have a team, they'll usually the Holy Spirit will be able to convict them and say, you know, you're a little bit out of line here. Um, how many have ever gone for a walk by yourself? And you, that's when the Lord starts getting on your case. And, and that's a good thing. Sometimes it's good to be out all alone. You know, I like what Pastor Cletty said. He said, if you, he says, if you're, le if, you're, uh, if you're leading and no one's following, you're just out taking a walk. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, sometimes if you're leading and no one's following and you're, you're out taking that walk, that's a time where the Lord can start to move on your heart and say, you know what? You should have said that or... You don't really know what they're going through or you don't really understand the whole situation. The Holy Spirit, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. He just comes over you like a warm blanket. And nobody can change my heart or change your heart, change my bad attitude like that warm presence of the Holy Ghost. Because first of all, He makes you feel like you're not alone. Amen. When the Lord comes to speak to you, I'm just glad He actually came and said something to me. Shows that he loves us. Amen. amen. And then he, ha he says it in such a way that just it all just drops off our shoulders. The weight is gone and we realize it's no big deal. And boy, when you go back and you and you and you make, um, you know, you tell that brother, that sister or whatever happened, you know, hey, I'm sorry. It just man, it just moves on. And, you know, you've you've made a you made the relationship stronger and. And that's healthy church growth, man. That's that's how church grows. I'm up. I'm just upset, though. We're living in a day and age now where there's a church on every corner and people won't stick together. And, you know, if, if it ain't working here, then they'll go down to the next road and they'll go down to the next road. And that's not really how the Lord has designed this thing, guys. No. You know, um, you know, you may think that Burger King makes a better hamburger than McDonald's, but. That's not church. I believe that God calls us all to a body and he calls us to grow. And it takes a pretty mature person to realize where the Lord wants him to set his feet up at. And um, it's not always an easy thing. You know, there's a lot of you in this church that have been here a long time. and You've seen a lot of changes, but the Lord called you here and you've never left. And um, and you've grown, you know, and you've grown deep inside and you've, you've watched people. I long for the days to come back in the church where we see babies come to dedication. Amen. We see them go to the altar for marriage. Yep. And then we see their babies being dedicated. Where we see generations yep. come through the church like they should be. Amen. Because church is just an extended family. Yes. You know, but we really that, you know, if you look around, we the church is, 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 is scarred really with our problems that we have in our own families. And you know, and you've got split families and single parents now and people trying to raise kids on their own. And it's messy out there, man. But as a body, you know, the only way that we're really going to make a difference and change things is if we just think, you know what? 
Come hell or high water, I'm not leaving. You know, I'm going to grow here. And the thing that made me mad about you or the thing that I don't like about this is going to be the thing that is going to take me to the next level. I heard one guy say, um, I think it was that Lance Wall now video last night. He said, your, what do you say about um, your giant or your, your enemy? Who said that? Somebody said, I heard somebody say one time that your enemy or your problem is your next promotion. Amen. Your enemy is your next promotion. If you think about David, David was just a shepherd boy until he met Goliath. And then Goliath was the enemy. And then when he conquered Goliath, then there was a promotion at the end of it. Amen. Amen. So, you know, and it's like, I believe that in church growth, everything that we go through as a body together, it is something that we need to realize it is going, it's not to destroy us. It's to promote us and grow us into the next level. Amen. Praise God. I just really feel the Holy Spirit tonight. Just, you know, he's just softening my heart and just, I just, I just love you guys, man. And um, so verse uh, 14 says now, we already got that. He said, let them feel ashamed. Verse 15, he says, now count him not as an enemy. Now that's important. So, you know, somebody's acting stupid and you, you're letting them kind of go on a long walk until they can figure it out. We're not to totally expel them, excommunicate them like the early church tried to do, the Catholic church tried to do tried to threaten people with excommunication and that they could never come back if they did things wrong. Um, you know, that's probably where maybe sometimes our, um, maybe the Amish, I don't know whether when, if you're shunned or you, you get excommunicated from there, can't you? And you never can come back in. Now, that's not what he's talking about here. He said, count them not as an enemy, but admonish him as a what? Brother. A brother. So when you act like this, you're actually acting like a family member instead of, you know, an enemy. Remember what Paul said when there was a situation in Corinth where there was a young man sleeping with another man's wife? What's that? 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5. There was, a, there was, a, um, there was an inordinate um, affair going on in the church. And Paul said... Cast that person out for the destruction of his flesh. Amen. He said, cast him out for the destruction of his flesh. In other words, let him get out in the world, kind of like the, remember the story of the prodigal son? The father let him go. He, I'm sure that father knew what that boy was going to get into. But he, when he got in the middle of that pig pen and realized that the pigs were eating better than him, I'm pretty sure his flesh was pretty much destroyed by then because he was able to come back and humble himself before his father. Amen. And that's what he's saying here. Let the people go on. And, you know, but don't treat them as an enemy. It's very important that, you know, we have disagreements with brothers and sisters and they go on about their ways that we don't mark them as an enemy. You know who you mark as an enemy? Is the people that pervert this word or that try to come with another gospel. The Bible uses a word called, um, what is that, ana... Oh, what's that fancy word? Anathesma or something like that. Ane, ane, I can't remember the word. Anyway, it's cut to be cut off. 
Anathema, that's the word I'm looking for. He said, let them be anathema, all right? Completely cut off. Now that is a different scenario, all right? That isn't people with bad attitudes like these ones he's dealing with here. That is people that are perverting the gospel and preaching another gospel, which Paul said there isn't another gospel. So what was it? It wasn't good news. They were preaching bad news. Amen. It was a false gospel. All right. So conclusion. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. And the salutation of Paul is with my own hand, which is the token in every epistle. All right. So we said that a couple weeks ago. Paul would write the last few um, words of the epistle with his own hand so that they could match it up with the letters that would go around because men were writing false letters. They were writing epistles pretending like they were from Paul, but they were saying, you know, they were, they were preaching bad stuff. And that's what the motive was for this second letter here. Because remember back when we said, he said, Comfort yourselves. Don't be alarmed, even if it come from a letter, supposedly as it had come from me. But he said, this letter here is from me. And the proof that it's from me, I'm writing these last few sentences myself. All right. Because usually he would have um, he would have uh, Silas or Timothy or somebody like that would, you know, they would dictate it. Amen. Praise God. So, verse 17, the salutation of Paul's with my own hand, which is the token in every epistle. So I write, now the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And put your finger and flip it right back over to the end of the first letter. First Thessalonians 5.25. 1 Thessalonians 5.25 says, Now, brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. And I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren and that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And I say to you, that's exactly what we've done here over these last eight to ten weeks. And I thank you all so much. And I thank you, Pastor Lonnie. Amen. Praise God. Amen.